0: We're reading tonight from Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 26. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. But only such a word is good for your edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Tonight, we've got an interesting message, and uh, I'm mostly going to focus focus on uh, verse 20, verses 26 and 27, and then 31 and 22, because there's some different topics in here that we could cover, as you notice. Uh, for instance, verse 29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from out of your mouth, but only such a word is as good for edification. Well, that's not our topic tonight, but you can see how that would be a good one, isn't it? There's sort of a discipline that we learn of controlling our tongue, but that's a whole sermon in and of itself, isn't it? And because of that, we're not going to do all that tonight. We're going to look at a specific one, be angry and yet do not sin. If you remember last week, we kind of began to read and it said, don't behave like the Gentiles do. You know better, so act like it. And then we got on into, the, as we got to the end of this, we saw that we're supposed to Put off the old man and put on the new man. In other words, it was like taking off those dirty old clothes and putting on new, fresh clothes. And so there's that principle that we find in Scripture. Put off the old, put on the new. And tonight we're going to talk a little bit about this in in terms of anger. So as we walk as Christians, as we go about our lives as Christians, we put off our old nature with its sinful desires. As an example, last week it talked about putting off uh, dishonesty or falsehood. We take those off like the shedding of old clothes. And now, instead of remaining naked, we put on the new clothes, our new self. We replace falsehood with truth and honesty. That it takes doing both of those things to be correct. This week, we continue with the idea of putting off sin. In this case, anger and putting on Christ. We exchange anger for peace and gentleness and a forgiving attitude. So we've already read Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. So let's take a look at them. There are four commands in, those, in that verse. And we're going to look at each one of them individually. The first command is this, be angry. And you say, well, wait a second. He said that was a command. Actually, grammatically, the way it is written, it is a command in the text. But it's linked closely with the next command. So it's not just a free-for-all that just says, hey, you get this command. You're now free to be angry all the time, whenever you want. Be angry, guys. Enjoy it. And some of us would, right? I mean, some of us, that's just kind of our makeup. There's some of us that just are more bent towards angers than others. And I mentioned this morning, this is the socially acceptable sin for men. You could tell anybody if they ask you about your sin problems, well, I've got a little anger problem. And people will mostly just go, oh, yeah, that's normal, you know. But then, when you look at qualifications for elders and deacons, it doesn't say not to be a hot tempered man. You can't be a hot tempered man. And so we're like, well, there's got to be some regulation to this. But either way, the first command here says that be angry. So, what we have to note with this is being angry at times is a natural and normal circumstance. Anybody ever not been angry? I mean, just, I mean, there's some pretty pacifist, easygoing people out there, but everybody has been angry at some point. We cannot avoid all anger. We tend to think of anger as that initial response we have to a perceived wrong. We think of the emotions that come with that. Anger is a whole person response to a perceived wrong. Here's what I mean by that. We have the emotions that come with it, but it's a whole person thing. So there's an intellectual response. We mentally decide we were wronged and I'm angry about it. We have to logically sometimes think this through. There's the emotional response that just hits you. Some situation happens, there is a wrong or at least something you believe is wrong, and you have the emotional response, and you cannot control that entirely, but all that is part of feeling anger. Then there are times uh, when it is the physiological response. That is, your body actually physically reacts to your emotions and to anger. You know that, right? You get angry and you start seeing red, right? Your, your blood pressure starts pounding in your ears. You ever had that? Your body responds to the situation. So it's, it's a whole personal response. It's emotional, it's intellectual, it's physiological, it is, it is a physical problem sometimes. There are even times, do you know this, when it is right to be angry? There are times where being angry is the correct response to something. Was Jesus ever angry? He was. He was. He responded sometimes in ways that we would think, man, that was harsh. Don't talk to people that way. Right? When we think of him overturning tables, we think of different situations where he responded to people in a way that maybe wasn't the nicest or most polite way to go about it, right? And we've kind of, today, we kind of don't like to talk about that, but that's another part of this. There is... Sometimes in the Bible we find uh, anger can be classified three ways. There's divine righteous anger. That is when God is angry at sin, he's right. And he is correct in his pouring out his wrath on sinners. But then there is righteous human anger. Every now and then we find a situation and we're angry about what happened. When you see great injustice in the world, there are times where we are right to feel angry. But then, most of the time, that third category of anger we find in the Bible is just sinful human anger. And that's, let's be honest, that's normally where we are. We think we're right. We always think we're right. Proverbs says that you know, in a, in, we always think our motives are clean. We always think our motives are right, but really, God knows what we're thinking. So, in general, the vast majority of examples are of human sinful anger. But you look back, you go back to verse 26 says be angry the second command there is do not sin and that's where it kind of gets difficult isn't it we kind of said the first command was be angry the second one says do not sin so be angry but do not sin we can't avoid entirely the emotion of anger not even the physiological reaction that we have how we act how we respond however is in our power in other words You can't control how you feel, but you can begin to control your tongue. You can begin to control your actions. As believers called to salvation, called into the church, we are to be angry but not allow it to rule over us and bring us to sin. You know that sin really does that? Think all the way back to Cain and Abel. It said sin was crouching at the door with Cain because of his jealousy. It was crouching at the door and wanting to rule over him is, is actually how it's worded. And we look at sin, and anger is one of those things. Sin comes in, we allow it in, it's part of who we are, but it wants to dominate or rule us. And we have to decide we're not going to let anger rule over us. But we cannot do it on our own, of course. We have to do it with the help of Christ. But let's continue to see what this is teaching us. The first two commands here, you might notice in, that uh, it's in quotations or in my Bible. It's in all capital letters to let me know. That's coming from somewhere in the Old Testament. It's a quote from Psalm, the fourth psalm in the fourth verse. In that psalm, David has been slighted. His honor is a reproach to men. And in verse 2, he says this, O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? But then he says this in that psalm, to tremble. I want you to think trembling with rage, trembling with anger. He says, tremble and do not sin. Instead, what we find in that psalm is he is supposed to focus on God. It says he's supposed to meditate on his bed late into the night, thinking of the Lord. Go back and read Psalm 4 when you get a chance. But there he is to to, to meditate on him, think on him, and he's to offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust the Lord. How often is our anger and our fear, or how often is anger actually fear and a lack of trust in God? We, we just respond and we don't realize God's the one that avenges. God's the one who really does right. In Psalm chapter 4, verse 8, it says, In peace I will both lie down, and sleep as He seeks the Lord in that psalm, it says that God puts gladness in His heart. But you know what he had to do? He had to stop and meditate it on in the night. Now what that means is we have to be careful at the beginning of anger. It's a particularly dangerous situation, isn't it? Because that's when you, can, you have a, the easiest chance of just responding and doing something that's really wrong how many times if you would just stop and think about an argument you had later, you realize it was really kind of dumb and silly and not worth the fight. But you got to make it through those first moments. I was thinking of <laughs> just now, and in our deacons meeting, I was actually thinking of this too. You know, a few years ago, when we went with the IMB, we had a lot of contingency training, training on if you get kidnapped or if this happens or if there's a shooting. Uh, all the stuff you just don't think about in ordinary life and they brought a, a paramilitary group to come in and do some of this training. And so you're sitting, and we're all in this conference room, and the first thing they did was brought somebody in without telling us, of course, and start shooting guns off. So immediately, those that had gone through some kind of training knew what to do. You get on the floor. Immediately is the first thing. You don't think about it anymore. When we get angry, it's that same kind of response, isn't it? You just do something. And usually it's lash out and it's not good. And so, this verse, in Psalm 4, he is meditating in the night on the Lord and his righteousness. And then God puts gladness in his heart. So that in the end, in verse 8, he says, In peace I will lie down and sleep. That he had trained his mind not to see the circumstances, but to focus on the Lord and his deliverance. In other words, when this happens, you've got to remember who is the Lord of all things? Who has this in control? And he ends up with peace, and peace is the opposite of a heart filled with anger. Now, the third command in Ephesians 4, 26 is this, do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, anger is dangerous. I just said you don't want to respond right away, right? You don't want to just lash out at the beginning, but you also can't hold on to it forever. If you do, you're going to end up with a big problem. Anger is like fire. You hold on to fire, you get burned, or something burns. Anger festers. Anger will feed all sorts of other sin. And think about this. This is Proverbs chapter 29, verse 22. It says, An angry man stirs up strife, and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgressions. Hear that? If he's hot-tempered, he abounds in transgressions. In other words, he abounds in all sorts of sin. Because when you get angry, your response can push you into all kinds of sin. How many of you ever sinned because you're angry? Me? Yeah, we all do it, right? Like every one of us will respond that way. And let's be honest, how many of us do it more at home than we do out in public? Isn't that weird that we are more angry with the people we care about and love the most than we are with perfect strangers? I'll, we'll put up with perfect strangers. We'll put up with him. We'll be nice to him, bless his heart, and kind of keep moving. But with our family, you can't keep that up all the time, can you? With, with the people you know and love the best, when well, you know your relationship is different, you talk about things on a different level. At the same time, is, does it make sense that we do that as parents, as, as fathers? Do you speak to your children the same way you speak to strangers? That one's convicting for me. It is. Now, I know there's, as a father, you have a responsibility to discipline. It's a different kind of relationship at times. But still, I think about this. A hot-tempered man abounds in transgressions. You know what they tell you when you study parenting? Don't discipline in anger, right? You've got to cool down and make sure your mind is right and what you are doing is very careful and anger causes division, strife, malice, or evil intent. And holding a grudge is the opposite of forgiveness. The last command in those verses, look down at verse 27. So we be, we're to be angry. We're to not sin. We don't let the sun go down on our anger. And I didn't say this, but let me, before I move on, let me, let me say this. Sometimes being angry and not letting the sun go down on it, Sometimes that means you've got to meditate, you've got to pray, you've got to read the scripture, you've got to talk to the Lord like David did in that psalm. Sometimes that means you've got to go to your brother and sister and address it. I was just reading, in the, so in the Old Testament, it tells you to basically live at peace with your neighbor, rebuke him directly, is what it says. In other words, if you have a problem with somebody, sometimes you still have to rebuke someone. Sometimes you still have to say, hey, what you're doing is not correct. How you treated me was not correct. This doesn't say ignore all the problems. But it does say don't let the sun go down on it. In other words, if someone upsets you and makes you angry, don't come to them a year from now. Because in that year, how much harm has that anger done not to them but to you and to the church? Because you've let sin rule in your heart For that amount of time. And sin always works death in us. So, the last command here, though, is to not give the devil an opportunity. Part of the goal of this chapter in Ephesians, if you go back and look at verse 4, he's calling them to unity, to how they should live together as the church, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're to be united in the church. When we hold on to anger, it brings in sin and allows Satan to work among us. He wants to wreck Forest Heights Baptist Church. And he wants to keep us fighting each other so that we're not doing the work of the kingdom. Isn't that what it says there? Don't give him an opportunity. And if we hold on to it, we do that. You guys ever seen a church destroyed by anger? Yeah, it might not have looked like anger at the end. It might have been a feud about a carpet or something else. But how many times did it originate with, that guy made me mad. And so I don't care what he proposes, I'm against it. You ever seen that happen? Yeah. I mean, if you want an example, look at our government, right? <laughs> look, how, look how our Congress functions. It's, both parties are that way, right? They, they get down to this, let's just argue, and I don't care if that guy has a great idea. I'm against it. And the other side could... I'll give you a good example of this, okay? Let's talk about the Kurds. You into know the Kurdish group. So uh, they're a people group. They live partly in Turkey and Iraq and Syria and that area of the world. And they don't really have their own country. There's northern Iraq right now where they, where they kind of have their own thing going. But what I've noticed is... Um, Actually, I'm going with the wrong people group on this. What I wanted to mention was the Armenian group. Okay? The Kurds are a separate issue. All right, let me switch this back to the Armenian genocide or not genocide, depending on which group you believe. If you go back after World War I and some of those times. Listen, there were lots of Armenians that lived in modern-day Turkey. Now you don't find many. Why? Well, some say they were fighting because of the war and because they're on different sides, different things, others say, well, this was just a straight-up genocide. Here's how this fits into our government, right? George Bush Sr.'s in office, and he says, you know what, we should declare that that was a genocide. Democrats say, oh, no, let's not do that. Clinton comes in, and he says, we should declare that's a genocide. And the Republicans come in and say, no, nah, we shouldn't do that. Every other president, or pretty much every president says, we should declare that a genocide, and whichever party he's not from says, let's not do that. It's just being silly and angry, right? Isn't that way? it's just a political move for them, and that kind of stuff can wreck a church. So how do we get from anger to peace? Number one, examine your motives. What is the perceived wrong that you see or feel and is it real that is sometimes i think there's something's wrong and it makes me angry and sometimes i'm the one that's wrong it happens Allie's not here tonight so i don't have to admit anything but it happens sometimes right number two i want you to remember how god has forgiven you It always comes back to the gospel for all of these things. Christ has forgiven you in spite of all the idiotic things you've done. And let's be honest, evil things you have done. And so we've got to put that in our minds and realize and view that person as also a son or daughter of Christ. We have to understand that that's our brother or sister Number three, pray and ask God to help you have peace and forgiveness. This is what David did. Sometimes you've just got to step out of it and say, I need to pray for peace. I need to pray for the ability to forgive him. What do we pray in the Lord's Prayer? What do we pray? How's, how's it end? Yeah, we ask him to forgive us as we forgive those that have sinned against us, right? Yeah. Number four, you might actually have to address the person that caused your anger. Listen, you don't want to respond to anger, but we're, talking, we're not talking about ignoring real wrongs or real sin. You do have to have hard conversations with people. What did we talk about this morning? You've got to give an answer for the hope that you have to the lost world, but you're supposed to deal with gentleness and reverence, gentleness and respect. When we deal with one another, it's always got to be that way. And we can't talk about, we're not going to talk about church discipline and, correcting people and going into that tonight. But again, the purpose, why would you ever meet someone to point out their sin? Isn't always redemptive in nature? Don't, isn't the thing you want to see a relationship restored that, that there wouldn't be this anger between us anymore? That we would both be worshiping the Lord with pure hearts as we gather together? There's a whole word group for anger in the New Testament. Words that get grouped together. You can look in Colossians 3. You can look in Galatians four seventeen. We see it here in verse 31. Look down at verse 31. All these words are kind of pushing us to the same idea. This big, big picture, this idea. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. We talked about that put off principle. These are the dirty, nasty clothes you gotta take off. You've been working in the yard all day, you've been working in your garden, you come in, and you're covered in dirt and sweat, and you walk in and your wife says, Go get in the shower. That's how we're we're talking that kind of dirty right here. And it says, Look at look at these words. They all wrath and anger pretty much mean the same thing. They bring with it clamor and think loud noise and arguing and slander. Finally, as we hold on to anger, we get malice. Malice is evil intent for someone. You ever been so angry with someone that you started plotting their demise? You say, Well, that's a little extreme. Okay, well, maybe you didn't plot their ultimate destruction or how you could kill them or something. Although sometimes maybe you did. Bobby? He says I'm on thin ice. He's got anger problems. Just kidding. (laughs) But listen, malice, anger that we hold on to really begins to change our motives and how we deal with people. It changes our perception of them. And if we are a church full of people with malice, where at the end of the day, I don't want what's best for Mr. Tank. I don't want what's best for Jamie. Because I'm angry. Do well, you think that church is going to be glorifying God? Or have I just given all the, the opportunities for the devil and said, come on in. My heart is open. I'm ready. You're seeking. You're, what did we read this morning? You're prowling around like a lion seeking somebody to devour. Let me be the bait. I'll bring them right on in, and you can have them. That's what anger does if we let it run. So put off bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. See, you this about bitterness. Bitterness is when you've been holding on to something, right? You get bitter and angry. It's, it's, it's just been there a long time. All these go together. Instead, you're supposed to take that off, like your dirty shirt, your dirty socks, and all your pants, but you've got to get dressed again so you look down at this verse, verse 32. It says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. In other words, put on kindness. Put on compassion. Forgive one another just as God forgave you in Christ. The first three chapters of Ephesians, as we read them, the first three chapters of this letter, talked about God's love for us. We saw salvation over and over from his view, from sort of our own human perspective, even from the, the view of God creating a people for himself. We deserved his anger, and instead he gave us love by, and demonstrated his love by sending Jesus to die for us. Instead of divine wrath, by the way, in Ephesians 2, didn't it say we were objects or children of his wrath? We were deserving his righteous anger and wrath. But here instead, instead of that, we were forgiven. We were given grace and peace. How does the perceived wrong that causes our anger compare to our own sin against a holy God? Think about it. If someone sins against you, how does that compare to your treason and outright rebellion against the king of the universe? It doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, think about it. When Paul marched into heaven, right? All of the saints were there celebrating with him, right? Even the ones he dragged off and killed. God is a good God, He's a graceful God, and He's forgiving. Now, let's get practical. We got a little bit more time here. We can't avoid all anger. We've already said that. But we can train ourselves to control our tempers. You ever hear somebody just say, "Well, I just—that's just who I am. That's just me." And man, is that an excuse or what? I could say that. I could. I could say that about anything. I could say, "Well, that's just who I am." Well, we've got to be careful with that kind of thinking because that's not what we find in the Scripture. So we can't avoid all anger, but we can train ourselves and. Uh, if you look on your handout at the very bottom on the back, there are some proverbs that talk about doing just that. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 29 says, "He is slow to anger, or he who is slow to anger has great understanding. But he who is quick-tempered exalts folly." In other words, if you want to be, if you want to have understanding of God, of how this world works, of how to live righteously, you can't be quick-tempered. You've got to be slow to anger. When we're quick-tempered, we make lots of mistakes. Folly is just foolishness. How much easier would our life be if we just stop and be slow to anger and quick to listen sometimes and slow to speak? Proverbs 19.11, a man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. It is our glory to overlook when someone has wronged us. Now, again, there are times where you've got to address things. But do you have to have this big hoopla every time somebody does something wrong. I mean, if Miss Diane had to approach Bobby that way, every time he did something wrong, it'd get rough, right? Bobby's not coming back on Sunday night, guys. It's our glory to overlook a transgression. Proverbs 16.32 He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. This is the problem with anger is it's very hard. You can imagine what it would take to be called one of the mighty, the mighty warriors of the Old Testament, the one who could capture a city. As great an accomplishment as that be, all the planning that would take and the work and the strength and the might, Says you're if you can rule your spirit and be slow to anger, it's better than being that way. It's more of an accomplishment. There's a reason James says it's hard to tame the tongue, right? It's a fire, it just sets everything ablaze. Well, anger is a little bit like that. Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25 says, Do not associate with a man given to anger, or go with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. You know, guys, there are churches that have been destroyed because there was a hot-tempered man in their midst that just liked to fight, and nobody would ever say anything. We've all seen it, and you know what happens in those churches? Nothing but more anger and strife and division, and that one individual sometimes can keep that church from growing for years. That's what happens when we hold on to anger it says, do not associate with a man given to anger. Do not go with the hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways. So as we practice righteousness, guys, as we would read those verses, meditate on the Lord, pray and seek Him, and as those situations come up, we continue to practice it, guess what? Like everything else in life, we get better at it. It's a discipline. It's something that we work towards. It takes work, and and I acknowledge that each of us are different. Many of us struggle with one sin more than others. We have to train ourselves in righteousness. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 say this, On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. In other words, how many of you ever trained for a sporting event? Maybe you were running. Maybe you were in a competition. I don't know what it might be. been. Maybe you trained for something else. Maybe it wasn't uh, something physical. Maybe it was a test. Maybe it was something else you had to prepare for. But you know what? It took discipline. It took training. It took getting up day by day and working on whatever it might be. I'm sure when David was in the military, and some of you served in the military, there's reasons you had to train, Right? It wasn't just because somebody wanted to yell at you. Well, maybe sometimes it was. But they were trying to get you prepared for what was to come, right? You disciplined your body, and by doing so, you increased how you could do things. Well, there in 1 Timothy 4, Paul says, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Train yourself in righteousness. Getting up and running, doing a couch to 5K, lifting weights playing sports, all those things, that's good for your body, right? We want to be healthy people. We want, to, we want to work on things. But in the end, it's better that we would train ourselves for righteousness, for godliness. So what do we do from here, right? Well, tomorrow morning when you get up, you got to take off those pajamas or take a shower. I want you to think about taking off anger tomorrow morning. Just get up, and as you're changing clothes, I'm taking off anger. Remind yourself of the verse that we read today. Maybe read it. When you get dressed, do you think about putting on peace, gentleness, compassion, and a forgiving spirit? Maybe read or memorize some of these verses that are on here. Hide the word in your heart. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. The scriptures corrects our attitude. They train us in righteousness so that we can do this. We'll never get it perfectly. We'll never be perfect on any of this. But can't we, aren't these simple things we can do? Just take one week out of your life. Take this week and every morning say, you know, I'm putting off anger today. And I'm putting on kindness and gentleness. And see if it doesn't become a habit for you. Pray and ask God. To be, for you to be self-controlled, to put on these things. Ask Him to help you be slow to anger. You know, if we get up and we tell ourselves, I'm going to do this, well, you can't do it on your own. So you put off anger, put on kindness, and ask God, as I go through my day, Lord, would you help me to remember you? And would you help me to remember how to deal with my anger? And then do it again the next day for as long as you need to. Uh, you know, we've got things coming up. There's deacon elections and, and nominations that we'll be looking at and different, just different things that are just part of being deacons, right? And part of all of who we are because we see these commands today for everybody, right? But we have to train ourselves, and it's a continual process. It goes on day by day. It's who we are in Him, and I think it's important that we see it that way. Now, tonight... As we go into a time of invitation, if you're struggling with anger, I would love to sit down and talk with you about it. And I say that because um, I've got resources. We've got things we can get to. And sometimes getting to the bottom of that anger and why it's there will help you with, the, with those quick responses that pop up. And we all need that. So maybe you want to sit down and talk about it. Maybe you just want me to pray with you. Maybe you just want to stay where you are and confess it to the Lord. But tonight, if you are struggling with anger, confess it to him. And if you've lashed out to somebody in anger, I hope that this week you can go to them and ask for forgiveness and make those relationships right. But church, if you're holding on to anger, don't let it become bitterness and malice. I pray that you deal with it in whatever way you need to. But tell the Lord, ask him for help, and he'll help you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd help each one of us to put off anger, to put off wrath and judgment, and to put on kindness and gentleness. I pray that as we go through this week, God, I pray that these verses would be on our minds and our heart, and I pray as we interact with one another, it would be in a way that is loving and not bitter. Father, I pray that there would be no opportunity for the devil in this church because we are holding on to wrath. Father, I pray for your forgiveness tonight where we fail you. But Father, we do know that you love us. We do know that you have poured out all your kindness on us. That when we sinned against you, when we were with the crowd, if we'd have been there, Father, we'd have been screaming to crucify him along with everybody else. But you looked at us and you forgave us. You sent your son to die on the cross for us. So Father, tonight, I pray that you'd help us to see one another as your children, to see one another as our brothers and sisters, to see each person as valuable in your eyes, worthy of forgiveness and patience and kindness. Father, if any of us believe that we are just angry people, that's just who we are, God, I pray for your conviction to fall on us. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. May it work its righteousness in our hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.